You're told you'll be safe. Everything will be fine. You've been watching the news closely and listening to politicians' politic. You've watched as foreign diplomats move their offices from the capital city to your city. You're close to the opposite border of the foreign threat, so there's no real fear for you. Life continues as normal. Until February 24th, when you awaken to sirens warning you of potential bombing. You gather your family and you descend to the nearest bomb shelter, praying that it's all just a drill. Then reports start coming in that it's not a drill. Your country is being attacked. And as the day drags on, you hear of the bombings that are taking place in other areas of your country, but you comfort yourself with the fact that there are still hundreds of miles between you and the active war zone. Refugees flee to your city. Some stay, some continue on, seeking rest and safety in the EU. Hours turn to days, days turn to weeks. March 19th comes, almost a month into this war. And rockets land a little closer to your city. And it hits a little closer to home because you know the family of one of the men who was killed in that attack. His daughter goes to your church. It hits closer to home. Then a week later, March 26, two rockets hit targets within your own city. The war has come to you. What do you do? What can you do? And where do you go? You feel helpless. And there's nothing that you can do in this moment to make it all just go away. Well, the psalm for us tonight provides a place for us to seek refuge. Now, granted, we are not in that situation right now, and we praise the Lord for that, but there are brothers and sisters who this is daily reality for them. Where can they go? They can go to the Lord. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 102 as we continue our way through the penitential psalms. Psalm 102, and I'll let you remain seated for this passage since it's a longer chapter here. Psalm 102, reading again in Jesus' name. A prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread because of the loudness of my groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse, for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, abide forever, and your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to her, for the appointed time has come. Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. 
For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in his glory. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death, that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord, he has weakened my strength in the way he has shortened my days. I say, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. Father God, these are your words. Lord, this evening we recognize that your word is true. We pray, Lord, that your word would work in our hearts and our lives here this evening, that your word would comfort the afflicted. Lord, comfort us in our own affliction, but we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world going through various other afflictions as well. Father, comfort them and draw near to them. We thank you, God, that you are a God who has left the comforts of heaven for us to live among us, to serve our need, and to save us as well. Father, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this passage here, the psalmist opens acknowledging his situation. He is faint with affliction and he pours out his complaint before the Lord. He cries out to the Lord to hear his prayer. And he asks that the Lord wouldn't hide his face from him anymore. The psalmist is asking more than just that the Lord would simply see his condition. You may remember the words, The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious unto you. We end almost every service with those words. It's a benediction that the Lord gave to Aaron, or gave to Moses to give to Aaron in number six, to bestow a blessing upon his people. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. There's meaning, there's significance in the Lord making his face to shine upon you. It's delivering his grace to you. There's a problem that all mankind has, though, and it's this, that we're all sinners. And our sin produces a barrier between us and the Lord, and because of sin, the Lord's face is hidden from us, or it should be, at least. Because of sin, the Lord's face is hidden from us. However, because of Jesus, because of his suffering, and because of his death, that sin has been dealt with. And now God is able to, as he says in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Even though we all deserve judgment, not grace. The psalmist here is asking to be heard and he is asking for the Lord's grace to come to him in his affliction. Verses 3 through 7, he uses more poetic language here to attempt to describe the affliction from which he is suffering. You don't have to be a refugee fleeing from your country to find refuge here in this psalm. 
In a sense, all of us ought to be refugees. By definition, those seeking refuge in a place beyond our homes and beyond our country. A physical dwelling does offer us a certain amount of protection, but they cannot offer us refuge from sin. Our good works can't offer us a refuge from sin either. This building can't offer you a refuge from sin, but there is one who can. To find a haven from the pains of sin, we must look beyond ourselves and look again to the Lord who hears our prayers. Psalmist opens his prayer asking for God to turn his face toward him, which brings a question, why was it turned away? Is God looking elsewhere? Is God too busy to look upon him and his suffering? To answer this question, it's good to go back to the beginning. If you remember way back in Genesis, when man was originally created, was he originally created to be distant from God, to be separate from God? No, he wasn't. He was created to be in communion with God. Who was it that hid in Genesis chapter 3? Was it the Lord who hid from Adam and Eve? No, it was the man and his wife. Why did they hide? Because they feared God. Why did they suddenly fear God? What changed in their relationship that all of a sudden now they feared this God, this Creator, this Savior that they had been walking with together in the garden? It's because they had sinned. When we see the holiness of God for what it is, and we stop seeing our sin as a small issue that we tend to just write off, then we fear the God who is holy and just. And why is it that we fear this God? This God who has created us? This God who desires to be in relationship with us? It's because we know what the penalty for sin is. Adam brought sin into the world, and that sin brought death. And so we're each deserving of death. Physical death, yes, but also spiritual and eternal death. Every one of us, this is what we deserve. This is what it looks like when the Lord turns his face away from us. And so here the psalmist is asking for the Lord to hear his prayer and to not hide his face from him. Lord, look again upon me with your grace. Psalmist identifies the source of his affliction specifically here in verse 10 of our text. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. He recognizes here that the separation and the suffering of his sin has brought upon himself. Now this isn't to say that all affliction that comes our way is a direct result of our own sin. But we can say that all affliction comes as a result of sin in the world. I'm sure all of us have experienced various aches and pains in our own bodies throughout our years that we've lived here. It's a result of sin. Not because we've done some sinful act and then suddenly God strikes us with whatever affliction comes our way because we did something foolish and he is paying us for our sin. But because of sin, death entered into the world. Death and destruction in our bodies are beginning to break down. For example, here in this text, the suffering that the psalmist is experiencing in verse 8 is coming not by the psalmist's own doing, but on behalf of others. Others who recognize his sorry state and rather than offering solace, 
rather than coming to their aid or comforting them or comforting him. Instead, he pour, they pour on contempt. Without sin, there would be no suffering. The psalmist's suffering seems to be bringing him to his end as he writes in verse 11 of the text, My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. Just as a lengthy shadow, or lengthy shadows are soon to disappear as the sun finally sets, casting that shadow farther and farther, longer and longer. So the psalmist's life is about to come to an end, which asks the question, what will death bring? What will death provide for this psalmist who feels distant from God, who feels as though God has raised him up and has cast him away? Can his, end, can his death bring an end to his suffering? Can his death bring a peaceful resolution to the afflictions that he is experiencing here on this earth? Is his hope to be found in death? Psalmist then turns beyond the grave. And he looks beyond the grave to the Lord who abides forever, who not only abides forever but will arise and will arise and have compassion on Zion and be gracious to her. And he pleads for God's grace and compassion, confident that God will indeed act favorably to Zion, he says in verse 13. Now this Zion isn't talking about the residence of an earthly city here, but the residence of the Jerusalem that is above that we looked at a few weeks ago when we looked at Galatians 4 and Revelation 21. His hope is based on the promise that God will indeed have compassion on Zion. That he will have compassion on his people. His people is defined as those who have faith in him. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth, your glory, writes the psalmist. As I see what he does for his people, the nations will fear the Lord. It was true for the Egyptians. As the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground, and the Egyptians tried to follow suit, only to find out that the water would eventually drown them all. It was true for the Moabites. As they worried about the Israelites gathering on their borders and they called the prophet of the Lord to come and curse them and instead brought curses upon themselves. It was true for the Israelites as they watched the Lord consume Elijah's offering on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal were slaughtered that day. And it would be true for those who afflict this psalmist. But for the psalmist comes something else in verse 16. Not just destruction, but also a building up. Verse 16 speaks of the Lord building up Zion. Again, those who have faith in the Lord will be built up. And how? By what means? What can we look forward to being built up by? By His appearing in glory. And as we look again at Scripture and we let Scripture interpret Scripture, this glory, we are told, appears in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's grace comes to us in the word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. It was revealed again on the Mount of Transfiguration and even evident to the centurion at the foot of the cross at Christ's crucifixion, who declared truly this was the Son of God. His glory has been revealed in Christ. 
And it will be revealed yet again when Christ returns. And it's continued to be revealed to us each time we open up God's word and see what he has done for you and for me. The nations will fear the name of the Lord, while those who trust in him will be built up. The Lord has heard the prayers of the afflicted, and the Lord has acted on behalf of this psalmist here. He has acted on behalf of brothers and sisters around the world going through various afflictions, afflictions we can't even imagine. And he has acted on behalf of your afflictions and my afflictions. How do we know this? We know this because he sent his son. The word of God became flesh, and we saw his glory, glory full of grace and truth. And these words have been written for generations to come so that a people yet to be created, yet to be born, would eventually one day praise the Lord. To everyone who has ever found themselves in a situation where they've been afflicted and distressed, where they've been persecuted and abandoned, this, prayer this psalm provides a prayer for them. It provides a refuge. It gives to us a, pray a prayer that we can offer to the Lord, a prayer to reorient us away from our current suffering and affliction, reorienting us to the Lord, to what he has done, to what he does, and to what he will, in fact, again do. In verse 19, the author writes that the Lord looked down from his holy height, from heaven, the Lord gazed upon the earth to hear, to set free, that men may tell of his name in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. The psalmist was confident that the Lord was going to act. And he finds comfort, he derives comfort from this promise, from this truth. And we too can have confidence in what the Lord has done as we look past, looked in the past. Which is why again we gather each Sunday for worship. Why we're here tonight on Monday, Thursday, remembering what Christ has done for us. And he was betrayed to be crucified on our behalf. We've already addressed it briefly in the last point, but we'll address it again here. How was the Lord going to act? Again, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. We flip ahead to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, and I'll invite you to do that. Stick your finger here in Psalm 102. Keep a finger there, but flip ahead to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. It's Hebrews 1 is the author is writing about this chapter. He is establishing the fact that Jesus is better than the angels. And he quotes a few passages of Scripture, applying them to Jesus to back up the claim that Jesus is better than the angels. So this is how the Holy Spirit inspired these words to be applied. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Now we look back at Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. These verses are here to point us to Jesus. Yahweh saw from heaven. 
He hears the cries of the afflicted here and he says, I have looked down and I have acted. I have sent my son. I have sent Jesus here for you. Of old, he is found in the earth and the heavens are the work of his hands. They will perish, but he will endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Jesus took on flesh. The creator wrapped himself in creation. The God who abides forever submits himself to the laws he himself has established. Even going so far as submitting himself to suffer the curse of sin. Which he had no need to do that. He had no sin. He didn't need to put up with the sins of others as others sinned against him. He didn't need to put up with your sin and my sin. But he willingly takes that upon himself. Becoming a curse for us. And he who lives forever died. Christ suffered for the afflictions of the psalmist here in Psalm 102. Isaiah 53 describes the Messiah as being despised and rejected by men. One who carries our sorrows. One who bears our grief. One who was afflicted and smitten not only by men, but by his Father. As the psalmist here speaks up and says, For you have lifted me up and cast me away. We look to Christ who has been lifted up and cast away from the Father's presence as he takes upon himself your sin and the sin of the whole world. And he experiences the wrath of God on our behalf. Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief so that by his death he would justify the many and bear their afflictions What has God done to meet us in our need? He has provided his son to take upon himself our suffering. The deliverance that God saw fit to deliver was more than a release from this present suffering which we find ourselves. But the provision of the Savior would redeem our suffering, give meaning to our pain. It would give meaning and hope to what we experience here in this world. The psalmist speaks of his days drawing to a close and the Lord shortening his days. One of the ways that God has seen fit to deliver those suffering is through death. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Not only are we praying there that we would be spared from and delivered from evil on this earth as we continue to live here in this earth, but that when that hour of death shall come, that the Lord would grant us a blessed end and graciously, Take us to himself, from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. What a blessed hope and comfort that that is. It allows us to deal with the various afflictions that come our way. The best is yet to come. And there is a comfort that is promised to us. And not only promised to us, but it is guaranteed to us by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Death isn't the end. Verses 26 and 28 point us beyond the grave to resurrection. And so as we can see death as being an end to physical suffering and physical pain here that we experience on this earth, this doesn't mean that everything just ends and it's done and we cease to exist. Verse 26 and 28 point us beyond the grave to resurrection. Christ is the provision of God for our suffering. Christ is a provision of God for the satisfaction for our sin. Christ is also the provision of God for our resurrection. The provision and the promise for our resurrection. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul established that blessing of the resurrection, resurrection that extends to all people, saying that Christ died for our sins, but he rose again, delivering us from our sins, and what's more, becoming the firstborn from the dead, the first fruit from the grave. Christ's death and resurrection points us to the resurrection for all who die, who will be raised no longer enrobed in mortal flesh, but then changed to immortal bodies, imperishable, indestructible, no longer susceptible to the curse of sin. For those who believe in Christ to a resurrection of life, and to those who have rejected the Savior to a resurrection of damnation, both Paul and the psalmist speak of this changing being done by Christ, a resurrected Lord. Because of his death and resurrection, this transition is guaranteed to us. It's only a matter of time. Whether he takes us home first or through death or whether he returns in glory. But God has given to us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul finishes this chapter with this encouragement, he says there in 1 Corinthians 15 with this encouragement, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The psalm reorients us once again from the suffering of this present age to the Lord who hears our prayers, to the Lord who looks upon us and is gracious to us, it focuses our attention on the Savior who has come to have compassion on Zion and to be gracious to her. It points us to a hope that transcends this present life, to a hope beyond the grave, to an eternity with the God who abides forever. Whatever it is that you may be facing today, you can be sure of this, that the Lord has not turned his face from you. No, he has turned his face away from his son so that he can always look upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He desires to deliver you from all of the afflictions that we experience here in this earth. And how do we know? Because the Lord himself took on flesh to submit himself to what we experience so that he could deliver us and redeem our suffering. He desires to set free those who are doomed to death. And we can be confident of this because of Christ, of who he is and what he has done. He is our refuge, never present help in time of need. This Monday, Thursday, we remember again the sacrifice that Christ made to give us a hope beyond the grave. As he was betrayed and as he was handed over to be crucified and as he was crucified and gave up his life willingly, a hope that exists for us despite our sins because of his death. A hope that comes to us in the Son of God who founded the earth, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and who will not wear out. A hope that lasts and is anchored solidly and firmly on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who has risen and is alive and well today.